0: Welcome to Follow Your Kind podcast, a show where we explore the meaning of kindness and how we can express it in our daily lives. My name is Christina, and I'm your host. Welcome to another episode of Follow Your, Mind. <laughs> Follow Your Kind Podcast, um, and today we are recording at Sevenanda Natural Foods Market, located in Atlanta's Little Five Points. Thank you to I, Feenies for for uh, letting us crush the party here, and today I'm very excited to bring you Chef Zoo on the show. Hi, Chef Zhu.
1: Hello, Tina. How you doing?
0: Good. How are you doing today? All is well. Good. Thank you so much for making it on this rainy day.
1: Mm. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we met recently at the Forward Food Conference um, a few weeks ago, it was it? Yes. And you did a wonderful, beautiful food demo and everybody was pretty crazy about it. Uh, But I was just excited to meet you because I've heard about your work uh, Mm. and I have finally gotten the chance to try it. And just excited to to have you speak on the show. But for those who don't know, Chef Zhu is a holistic nutritionist and urban agricultural agriculturist and plant-based chef who focuses on providing health and wellness to less fortunate communities through facilitating programs based on around uh, culinary arts, agriculture, and nutrition. And I was looking at your website earlier, the King's Apron uh, mm-hmm. website, and the quote, that's the first quote that ca- came up and that really, really spoke to my heart was the, the greatest medicine of all time is to teach people how to not to need it. Yes. Isn't it wonderful?
2: Mm.
0: So um, let's dive right in. Um, what is your real name?
1: So my real name is Elijah, first name Elijah, last name Lee
0: and where does Chef Sue come from?
1: Well, um, I come from New Jersey, but you know, I've been in Georgia for about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm from here now.
0: That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, why plant-based?
1: Well, plant-based, um, it makes sense for a lot of different reasons. But um, you know, I guess first would always be health for me. Um, but you know, past that, just even economic sense, because it's a more sustainable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I tell people all the time in class and um, different workshops we do, you know, and we talk about the sustainability of plant-based. And I say, well, how many of you have cows in your backyard? And then you see, no hands go up. <laughs> and then you say, well, how about turkeys? No hands go up. Um, You know, how about chickens? And then maybe you'll see one person throw their hand up. So then I say, well, how many people have a garden? You'll get a couple more hands than the chicken, but how many people have access to be able to start a garden? And then you'll see the hands go up. They don't have enough space to have the cow, even if they wanted to, right? But they could have a garden, you know? So it's just a more sustainable lifestyle, you know, no matter how you look at it. Um, and when we talk about economics and low-income communities, it just makes sense to push plant-based if it's, um, if it's more sustainable.
0: Absolutely. That makes so much more sense when you, when you ask questions that way. Hmm. How, how did you discover plant-based nutrition for you personally?
1: Uh, For me, I think I'm just a researcher. You know, I'm the kind of person that always wants to look and see um, and dig up things. So, you know, just looking for new ways to become healthy because I was borderline obesity at one time. So, you know, I'm just looking at things that I could do to uh, drop weight and just become healthier. And, um, you know, I ran into some information about plant-based lifestyle. Um, Dr. Leela Africa is one person I ran into, uh, Dr. Sebi is another person I ran into, mm-hmm. um, some people say Sebi, um, and many others, um, so then from there, you know, doing that research and then trying it, um, and then saying, well, if I go to, let's say, Soul Vegetarian, and I eat, the food is excellent. And this is plant-based. So I'm just a beginner now. I'm just trying, you know, going to a restaurant. But once again, trying to figure out how to become sustainable. So how am I going to eat like this every day? I'm going to have to learn how to cook like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just one step kind of pulls you in further to tasting it at a restaurant, to to being able to go home and now cook it at home at maybe two, three times a week. You know, because at first you're probably not going to be comfortable. You don't have enough concepts of what you can cook three meals a day, you know, or plant-based or vegan. And But, you know, after a while, you know, I, I wanted to do everything else everybody else was doing. Like if I see my friend and he comes in with the chicken club sandwich, you know, it's just like, I want a club sandwich too. <laughs> um, so how are we going to do that? You know, so it's maybe chickpea salad with eggplant bacon, you know, on a wheat toast um, with some lettuce and tomatoes. And, you know, it's still like I have my chickpea club while he has his chicken club. And, you know, I feel good about myself Um, because, you don't want to feel like you're the outsider. I know a lot of people, they start to feel like, you know, as they go out in the world that a lot of their friends maybe don't live this lifestyle. So now, you know it's like you're almost a black sheep or the outcast wherever you go Um, and even if you go to your sister's house for dinner will she know how to prepare a vegan option for you so the lifestyle can become a little um, hard to cope with if you don't start to cook your own food Um, so it's key I
0: love it so for you it was plant-based nutrition first, that you discovered it, and then you acquired the the cooking skills. And so you didn't have any, you were not a chef before that.
1: No, not technically a chef. Uh, my family always said that I did well. You know, um, like if it was a holiday that we all got together for, um, usually the elders would cook most of the food. But every once in a while, they would let us slide a dish in. And, you know, people would always say, oh, that's so good, that's so good. Um, so, I always had a knack for it, you know, watching my, the elders in my family cook um, and picking up things since a child. But I definitely wasn't considered a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was just once again becoming plant based, cooking for myself more and more. Some friends come over, I say, hey, man, you want to try this dish? They try it. They say, oh, my goodness, I didn't know, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just that's kind of really what became. Um, the fuel for me to start to take on the title chef, because a lot of people would start to say it to me. They would say, you know, chef. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, it's just zoo. Um, And they're like, no, you're a chef, you know? I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't see that right now. And at one point in my life, I had a transition to where I got laid off and I had to figure out what was my next step. And I kept hearing this echo of like people saying chef jokingly to me. And I said, well, I'm going to own that and do more research and um, really practice, you know. just like a trumpet player, you know, a jazz player would say, my chops. You know, that's being really tight with what you're doing and sharp with every note that you're playing because you practice every day. Um, So I started practicing more and um, doing research on different terms and Julian cut or you know um, different ways to garnish and plate and I just started trying it in public more and the more I did that the more people were wowed and the more I said okay I have to study more and train more and practice more and um, I kinda just you know self-taught my way into um, becoming a plant-based chef Uh, I did uh, do a certification program for uh, becoming a nutritionist. Um, but for the chef part of it, yeah, it's just a lot of hard work, research, dedication, practice. That's about it.
0: This is really cool. So you first self-taught yourself and self-educated yourself into becoming pump-based, and then and then you self-educated yourself into becoming a chef. That's pretty re- remarkable.
1: Oh, yeah, thank you.
0: Uh, so how did... How did the King's Apron came about?
1: Yeah, that was just um honestly working with a lot of people cuz we talked earlier um before the interview about me doing hip hop. Mm-hmm. And um you know, so doing a lot of hip hop and once again around the same time where I got laid off, um trying to figure out what was the next step for me. Um and, you know, just looking at the fact that, okay, now that you're a chef, how would you want to be referred as, you know, and then even thinking of marketing, you know, because you have to, you know, so what are two terms that everybody says or knows, you know, and I played with terms and kept playing with the terms and, you know, like greenhouse, no, um, you know, <laughs> plant head, no, you know, it took a long time. And then one day it just came. It was just like King's Apron. I was like, yeah, I would love to be referred to as a king. And, you know, the whole apron thing is really just a way to, you know, protect yourself from what you're doing at the time. You know, so it just it made perfect sense for me. And it felt coveted because, um, you know, it, it was like feeling like your ancestors are the apron part to you being a king. Right? So it's like my ancestors are protecting me while I'm doing this work. Wow. It's kind of how I felt, you know, after I said it twice to myself. I said, yeah, this really does fit more than, it was even more than I was looking for, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, yeah, I'm going to go with this. That's what I'm going to do. you know. So
0: That's really awesome. And it's also just seems, sounds like the way that you discovered and self-taught yourself into both being a plan-based and chef. And then finding the the king's apron name and the concept, it almost sounds like you always had that within mm-hmm. you, but you were just able to to unlock that and bring that to to the surface, to surface.
1: That makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, I believe that about all of us that we have these things there, but we just have to figure out that they're there. You know, so totally, and then even you know, different people believe in different things about, you know, being reincarnated, that you were here once before even, mm-hmm. you know. So if that is the case, um, you know, that's even a greater deal to say that, you know, you you learned things before, um, you know. Yeah. So whether they were already there or you had to learn them before and you forgot, but I definitely believe that um, we all have these things uh, within us and we just got to kind of pull them out You know, Mm -hmm. and it's a scary thing, you know, to try to dig deep and find it and then own it and then, you know, bring it to fruition because it's inside of you, so nobody sees it. And now you want everybody to know what you have inside of you, Mm -hmm. so you have to bring it to fruition. And that takes a lot of work. Um, But, you know, I think we all are capable of doing the same thing in whatever you want to do.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm sure it takes a lot of courage, too.
1: A lot of courage, yes. Hmm.
0: In terms of uh, King's Apron uh, as, as a business, and I know that you do a lot of amazing work in, uh, with education and uh, empowerment and, and, and charity and so many different things that you do with classes and around uh, giving people the tools and the skills uh, to prepare their own meals that are healthy and nourishing. Um, How did you, where did you get the courage to start that because I'm sure I know a lot of entrepreneurs who kind of start small and having like a side hustle or doing something exciting and creative Mm -hmm. while they have another job. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if most people decide to do something creative and learn a new skill once they got laid off. Mm. How, how, How did that come around in terms of business?
1: Apron. Yeah, I mean, it took a while. You know, once again, it was like a long practice term. I mean, even, you know, with the cooking classes, I think um, one of the ways that really helped me uh, get that into play, I won a small grant from um, Georgia Food Oasis in 2016 for um, innovative food concepts, which was basically my concept was to do... Um, you know um, nutritional based educational programs Um, so I said you know if I can it was a micro grant you know and I actually tied with another um, person Um, so we split the money and you know my whole concept was to basically teach people you know part of what I know so that they would feel empowered and be able to do it themselves. Hmm. So we basically started these um, you could call them classes, workshops at Atlanta Metropolitan Library in 2016. We did about, you know, we exceeded the program's expectations. I think they wanted us to do six. We probably did about nine or ten. Everyone was packed out. Workshops. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were free. Um, And we would give some You know, we had a PowerPoint, and we would do some um, information on what you're eating, you know. So if you're eating hemp seeds, we would give some of the nutritional benefits about the hemp seeds that are in your smoothie, but then we would actually make the smoothie in front of them. So it was kind of like a class, but, you know, a class in the sense of learning from the board, um, but then still, like, cooking on the spot. Um, And then that went well, and then from there, you know, we exceeded the program's expectations, but exhausted our budget in the process. Um, so people started to ask, well, when is the next class? You know, and I'm just like, well, you know, the budget, we exceeded it. Um, I've never had an idea of how to make this sustainable. It was a micro budget. Um, so then, you know, I said, well, if enough people really want the class, maybe if we do want in charge for it, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. And, you know, the first one, I think it was maybe three people came. I felt really down, like, oh, my goodness, you know, it's not enough people. If it's not, you know, um, if it's not making enough money, then it might not make enough sense. Um, And I think the next one was maybe like two more people, like maybe five or six people. And um, on that third one, I just really promoted it more. And I think it was all about the timing, too, and my intentions, because, you know, sometimes it takes... A minute for what you want to happen to happen Um, so like on the fourth one I think it was 40 people and it was just like okay well this is perfect you know Um, this is what I was hoping for and then just staying on that Um, and now it's you know people word of mouth Mm -hmm. you know so we're doing a cooking class on Saturday for um the wives of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, who are going to be here for the Sunday game as their husbands play the Atlanta Falcons. Um, so it's like, you know, twenty five millionaire wives basically. Wow. Um, you know, is is who our cooking class will be for this coming Saturday. So things have definitely progressed since we started. But, you know, um and we still do programs or classes for uh, nonprofits. Well we still do free stuff too, of course. You know, we've done stuff for um Tons of nonprofits. I can't even think of all of them. Um,
0: oh, I was reading it on your website, and I'll make sure to include the link. But there's a very long mm-hmm. list of all the different organizations that you work with local yeah. that are nonprofits. It's very, very impressive.
1: And I need to update that. It's probably about another ten to twelve more that I need to put on there. But um, you know, I don't want to look like I'm bragging. You know, I don't know if that's the place to list everything. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'm keeping count in my mind of just who I've worked with, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I need to add some more stuff there, um, soon. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I'm curious about uh, the inspiration. Uh, where, where? Where do you channel that? I remember uh, from some of the questions that were asked to you at the Forward Food Conference uh, that we had, that you mentioned that sometimes you don't even taste the food, you kind of mm. just know what what goes right together, so can you talk more about that?
1: Well, yeah, and I don't want to mean, you know, in the sense of like I'm just, just a magic chef, but... Um, a lot of my dishes are intricate in the sense that I have different pieces to them. So, like, say I was to make you, um, what is one of the last things I made? Um, like an open face, you know, BBT, right? Because it's not BLT because I use basil. So, instead of bacon, lettuce, tomato, it's bacon, basil, tomato. Mm-hmm. But I'll make, like, my own bread. So, it might be this pecan maple bread, right? So, I tasted that. But then I might make a cashew cheese and an eggplant bacon. I might have tasted the bacon and tasted the cheese. But now I'm putting all of these components together with, you know, garnishes and this, that, and the third. And I just get into the moment of like, okay, it's time to serve. And I never actually tasted the whole dish. But I knew that the components were solid and tight um, is more of what I mean, you know, when I, when I say that. But... Um, Yeah, you know, the inspiration, once again, it comes from just, you know, um, wanting to set legacy, you know, wanting to have um, myself in history, right? You know, I want to do, you know, I want to do well so that people remember me for he did well, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And at the same time, you know, I tell people all the time, uh, being a black man, a young black man, um who is a part of the hip-hop culture still Um, so I I resemble hip-hop and then I'm young and black Um, sometimes it can be harder for me to to, um, make things happen and connect Um, so I'm inspired by that knowing that I have more barriers than some but I still wanna be where maybe Someone else that I look up to is right. I want to have that position of success Once again, I'm just starting so I don't expect to be you know there if it's uh, what chef Emerald Is his name maybe one of the um, he's a famous chef chef Emerald. He has like spaghetti sauces in this thing and he's had a you know cooking show on TV Or in my um,
0: book chefs is more popular, but, than you know, Chef Emerald. I <laughs>
1: like chef Ramsey or you know there's <laughs> on T. You know what I mean so, but let's just say for me, it's like, you know, I want to be there, right? So, but even when we look at these chefs, once again, their, their time, their dedication, right, is, that's the first thing we need to think about because it's not about race. So their time and dedication, you know, they put more time and more dedication into me. So I'm inspired by that, right? To say, okay, well, if he put this much time and dedication in and this is where he's at, then what if I put... This much time and dedication in where would I be, um, but then it's this other part of you know the fact that I'm black and I'm young and I'm male and i'm um, I love hip hop, um, I might have to work harder, so that's that idea in the back of my mind of you know, work twice as hard as you think you might need to mm-hmm. uh, to get to where you want to go, and this I think everybody should do it honestly. Um, you know what whatever you do because once again it's about your legacy and the history that you leave behind yourself Um, I just had a childhood friend where I lived at you know if I if this was my house his house was facing this way so our houses were kinda
0: face to face
1: but um there was a uh, fence you know so but You know, anyway, he just passed away about three days ago. Oh, so Um, sorry. A truck accident. You know, had a daughter that was one and a half years old. Oh, wow. Um, You know, so, and the community and, you know, me being his friend and all, we all know, you know, and now his daughter will know from us understanding what he did, the legacy that he left. We can now teach his daughter. So, You have to always think like that, too, when you're working, is that you never know how long you're going to be here, right? So you want to work as good as possible, as hard as you can, just in case you don't have another chance to do what you love to do. Um, You know, it's kind of how I look at it as well.
0: Yeah, that that is an incredible approach, and I I do agree. I think everybody should look at it that way. Um, So from... I know that it's very important to you... um, not to just, as you mentioned, uh, do work that that brings profit, but also the work that um, gives back to to the community, and you're very much rooted in that, as you mentioned, in some of the free classes and then just the empowering courses that you do with with nonprofits. Can you talk more about uh, why this is such such an important thing for you to do?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, I understand... um, you know, I guess we would say classism, you know, and um, so when we talk about, you know, incomes and, and the amount of money that people make, you know, and what class they fall in, so you know, low income is usually, you know, correlated with uh, lower class, um, you know, and I don't think that should, I think it's a stigma that needs to be broken, that just because you have a low income doesn't mean that you're lower class, it doesn't even mean that because you can't afford, you don't have the right to not have it. But that's what would normally be said in society. If you don't have enough money, then you don't have the right to have it. Hmm. But I believe that just because you're like, it's just the circumstances, like you're not in a good circumstance, it doesn't mean that you don't have the right to have. So even some of the stuff that I do, you know, I try to have that mindset when I go out that I want to give the community the best class um, experience, nutrient dense food, um, because it's just, you know, it's like a bad circumstance that you're at the point of low income, um, you know, we know things will change for you or at least I feel that if you believe they'll change for you that they will. Um, so let's serve you, you know. so. Um, like these neighborhoods in Atlanta, you know, so you have Bankhead and Buckhead. You know, Buckhead is considered to be, like, you know, high class, but Bankhead is considered to be the hood. Um, so, you know, I want to serve the people in Bankhead like the people get fed in Buckhead. You know, is the whole mindset of what I try to do when I offer the community something. You know, you want to give them the best, you know, especially to inspire them and empower them to want the best. Because you'll feel like... You don't deserve the best if you have nothing. But if someone gives you something and you say, this was the best, now you're inspired to say, you know, I can get more than I have. You know, that type of mindset um, is what, you know, I use and say to myself, you know, that's what you need to do. It's not just about um, serving another person food. Um, It's definitely about showing a person that... um, You know, and even love, right? So showing a person the amount of love that I put into my food, Um, you know, so we can't maybe have a conversation. Like, I don't know you well enough to talk to you, but maybe I could touch you through love through the food. Like, if you taste the food, you could taste that there's love in this food, you know? So there's a language or unspoken language in food, too, that people don't ever talk about. And I try to use that as much as I can to, you know, uh, communicate and connect with people.
0: I think this is the most beautiful conversation about food that I've ever had with anybody. Hmm. And what I'm hearing is that, well, first of all, that you don't go by the standards that other people set for you. You set your own standards and you go by that in your relationship. So you set the plank and you always set it high. And then another thing is what I'm hearing is that um, unconditional love and unconditional service Mm -hmm. through food, regardless of where the person stands and who the person is, is something that's very important to you. Mm -hmm. And it's such a cool concept. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. That's really cool.
1: And trying to give people living food, too, because, you know, it's a more nutrient-dense plate, but all living things vibrate, Mm -hmm. you know, so... um, and if you got the right food, you know, on the plate, um, you can really bring a person's vibration up, you know, um, through just giving them food. You know, people don't think about that. Um, I'd seen a video just about a week ago where this lady actually somehow put a microphone to a sunflower and recorded the um, the vibration because it's a living thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, it sounded almost like symphony music. That was coming out of the sunflower, but it's 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 like unaudible to the naked ear, so it's like this this flower is singing all day long, but we never hear it um and the same thing for the vegetable, like you know who knows what the kale is saying, or who knows what that <laughs> you know organic tomato is saying and, and you know, if we know that the food came from a clean source, like a good farmer, that's why we love local food, so we can trace the food and say, this came from Bobby, and everybody knows Bobby's a good guy, <laughs> um, then we know that that food can still have a high vibration, right? Because we know that Bobby loves the food and loves to make food, and then we gave it from Bobby to Chef Zoo and Chef Zoo loves the food and loves to fix the food, and now we can <laughs> give it to the people, but we're buying out of these supermarkets and big box stores to where that tomato has been touched by 79 people just in the process of harvest and to the store. And then customers come and touch the food and say, I don't want that tomato, I don't want that tomato, I don't want that tomato. And before you know it, a hundred different people touched your food and some of these people could have low vibration and lower the vibration of your food, right? So, you know, it's it's all connected in spirituality, too. Um, not to get into religion, but, you know, all of this stuff is, uh, it's, it's almost like metaphysical. Um, you know, when you go all the way into doing the research about what the food can do for you. So, um, not to go too far in, but I do use certain techniques, um, you know, that I think other people in the kitchen usually don't think about.
0: Well, actually, can we get a little deeper in that? Because mm-hmm. I would love to talk about that. So what are some of the things? What What is what is your cooking philosophy or some of the main methods that you use in order to to bring up the, the highest frequency from the food and keep the food as, as living and as nourishing as possible?
1: Yeah, well, the key is, um, just like I guess on a science standpoint or whatever, um, and I'm sure you probably know, but just for anybody else that might not, when you, when you heat food up to a temperature of 115 or above, you start to kill whatever's living in the food. Um, so I use a dehydrator a lot, and I'll use temperatures like 65, 75, 95, 105. I usually stop at about 112, never to hit 115, and to just keep those nutrients in the food. One, because the reason you're eating food is to get the nutrients out to help you sustain life. So if you keep eating all of this food that has no nutrients in it, how can you sustain life? And this is half of why we're getting sick, you know, because everything we eat, we're cooking it. And we're looking saying, oh, yeah, this is nutritional, but we're not factoring in the fact that the amount of heat and the temperature is bringing that down. You know, so I try to make sure I eat, me personally, but then when it comes to serving people, um, a lot of people aren't open fully to it yet, but I try to bring a lot of raw food to the um, table in a sense of it's not salads, you know, we're making, you know, bacons and, um, you know, all types of desserts, and we're just basically still cooking them, but it's at a very, very low temp. And sometimes you have to cook for longer periods of time um, at such a low temp to get, you know, the effect that you want. But, you know, I think that's one of the main things is trying to provide living food to people in um, new innovative ways to where usually when I say raw food, the average person thinks it's going to be a salad. And, you know, if I come with the sandwich, they're like, well, how did you get make bread and then bacon? And how did you do all of this stuff and it's still living food? Like, you know, it's still raw food. And, you know, just once again, you can still cook food and it's raw. You just cook it at a low temperature, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, so I don't know if there's even a term for that yet. Like, th- there's a, truly a category for it. I guess you can just say living food, but, um, you know, because when you say cooked food, then people think it can't be raw. And if you say raw food, people think it can't be cooked. Right. But there's a way to eat raw food and still cook it, you know? So I don't know what that term would be. But um, so I guess we just say living food. Um, The food's still living. Um, And that's the key because, you know, this whole terminology, like, you know, standard American diet, sad.
0: Very sad. Diet,
1: (laughs) die it. Like, why would you want to keep saying I want to die it? The root word is die. Right. Right? So why wouldn't you want to live it, you know? And that just to to eat more living food because they say you are what you eat. So if you keep eating all this dead food, you are what you eat and you're eating dead food, then I don't know what that, you know, you have to add it up, but, um, you know, I guess if you're eating a lot of living food and you are what you eat, you know, so um, I think that's the main keys that I try to focus on, you know, when I'm cooking is to make sure the food is nutrient dense, um, but, you know, always become innovative and creative in what I'm doing so that people have interest. You know, because that's the key. You know, deterrent-wise, uh, it's how it looks first, and then how it tastes. Because if it doesn't look good enough, then I won't put it in my mouth to even try it. Um, so, always trying to figure out new ways to plate things and make people say, Oh, what's that? You know, and then from there, we can pull them in enough to maybe look at it closer to say, Yeah, I would like to try that. And then from there, you know, we if we are right where we need to be, the taste is where it should be, and then they'll say, "Oh, I like it. You know, how can I get more?" Maybe they'll go to a vegan restaurant next week. You know now they're wanting more food, but they don't want to go to the restaurant, so now they're making something in the kitchen now, and it's slowly but surely, you know coming into the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's fun at the same time, a lot of hard work, but um, you know, I try to just be as humble as possible with the work, and uh, I think everybody should. You know, there's no need to get arrogant about anything you do. I think being humble allows you to um, at least get a glance at mastery. You know? Because arrogant people, they feel like they've already mastered what they're doing, usually. You know? That they're at the top of where they need to be. But if you're humble, you know, you always have a chance to go a little bit farther with your craft and your skill set. You know? So, try to just stay humble is the key and um, just keep learning, you know.
0: Um, are there, so you mentioned you're, you're trying to be as innovative as possible. Are there any recent trends or like a recipe or a concept that you're working on cracking to make it to perfection? Um, a dessert or maybe like a taco or well, a bread or something?
1: Not necessarily, but the way I do see things is like the other day I was at a festival. And I looked over and I seen a sign that said chicken kebabs. And somebody was asking me something similar to what you were saying at the moment. And I said, um, I want to make some jackfruit kebabs. You know, like take the jackfruit mm-hmm. and marinate it and put them on the kebabs with the vegetables. And, you know, but this is usually how I come up with my ideas of seeing something that's out there and saying, well, being I can't have that. Let me make something that's similar to that that I'm going to enjoy, just like everybody else that's in the line to get that. Um, so, you know, I guess to answer your question, maybe the next thing we'll try to crack is like the jackfruit kebab, you know, and turn that into something really exciting. And, you know, I love uh, culture. So, you know, maybe we'll, and I believe culture is the key to good culinary arts because if you understand, you know, the flavors of maybe Greece and understand the flavors of, you know, let's say Kenya and then Australia and, you know, over here and over there, Japan and China and from wherever else, it just gives you so many other different ways to season your food now, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, I'm not sure if we'll do uh, like a teriyaki style uh, jackfruit kebab or it could be a jerk style uh, jackfruit kebab. And, you know, so I think that's the beauty, too, of even when you figure out what you're going to make that's new, you know, okay, I got this new idea, but then even though it's new, you could almost revise it time and time again, right? So you can try, like, um, an African style to it, but then maybe a Asian style to it, and you know, it's like you're getting the same dish, but it's going to come across totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, And we have an interesting cooking class this week where we'll be doing a plantain lasagna. So we'll use the plantain, we'll slice it thin, and use that as the noodle instead of using the noodle. Um, So it's kind of like a Caribbean tropical type of dish, Mm -hmm. but the fact that it's lasagna, it's like Italian, right? So now we just start to, when you understand a culture good enough, you can see the similarities in between them, you know? because um, they're just different people in different cultures, different walks of life. So now, but, you know, people could, a person from, um, Jamaica would still be able to walk down the street in Italy, and a person in Italy would still be able to go swimming in the pool in Jamaica, you know? <laughs> so this is the way I think about the food, it's just like these two people coming together for the day or to have a conversation even, kind of like us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, we'll take this concept of Italian lasagna with all of the flavors from the tropic. It could be Cuban, it could be Jamaican, but it's more like a tropical dish. Um, and we'll bring them together and make a plantain lasagna with uh, walnut meat and um, cashew ricotta. And, you know, do it like
0: that. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Um, what? Um, what is there something that you wish others would just saw or knew that you think most either don't understand or don't see right now?
1: Well, um, there's a couple things I want to say. I guess first, you know, it's probably not the answer you're looking for, but I think everybody needs to know those that control the food control the world. In a sense of if we do our history on all of the wars and everything that's happened across the world, A lot of these wars happen because the people in a certain situation can't eat anymore. You know? There were wars over rice. It was just, you know, because rice is a staple to certain people. And if I can't get rice, then it feels like I can't feed my family. So we'll fight you, you know? Um, So those that control the food control the world. And it's just to say, um, don't think about it like, well, I'm not in control of the food. Like, you know... I don't own the big box stores, or it's for you to think that the more that I get in control of my food, like for instance, buying it from someone that you know, or um, getting local produce so that you can have traceability and understand where it came from, you know, that gives you more control. Um, And then even cooking more for yourself. You know, all of these things give you more control. So, you know, those that control the food control the world. I think everyone should know that. Um, You know, these are sayings that are like cliche and almost like from our ancestors. Um, You know, there's no culture without agriculture. You know, there's no culture without agriculture. You can't have any culture in the world without agriculture. You know, Um, and even like when we think of these super big brands in the world, like if we think about like McDonald's. McDonald's has agriculture everywhere. They're more of um, a farm company than 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 a restaurant. Because the bread that you get on your sandwich that's wheat. Now you had to have cow farmers to do the dairy for the cheese and for the meat. You know, potatoes, you had to grow those. You know, even all of the things like the paper bags and all of this stuff, it's trees, so you have to grow. So it's all agriculture in a sense, right? So you can't have anything without this agriculture. No, when you say culture is a way of life, you can't have any one way of life without being able to grow things first, you know? So I think that's key for people to know too. And then, um, you know, besides that is just believe in yourself. You know, whatever you want to do, but especially if you're saying you want to be healthier, then believe in yourself that you can do it. You know, believe in yourself that it will happen if you put the time in. Um, and really just keep a healthy mind. You know, a lot of people have so much doubt and so much worry. And those are lower vibrations. It brings them down a little bit. But if, even if you're not there, but you're saying, I know I'm capable of being there. Even if you don't have enough, you're saying, but I know that there's abundance. Even though I don't have it, there's enough out there, you know? Um, And there is. Like, if you live in Atlanta, there's tons of... If if this is what you're after, a lot of people come here for money, you know? It's the big city where you can get paid at, you know? And if that's what you're looking for, it's definitely here, you know? I guess maybe let's say not just money but financial stability. Um, So if you want to become, you know, financially stable and you come to a place like Atlanta and you keep a good thought in your mind that I'm, I'm capable of doing it, all of the money's already out here. It's just me getting into the same space that the money and being able to do something, whatever service or product that is, to be able to acquire that money, right? But you have to have a healthy thought is my point. So, you know, just think good thoughts, especially about yourself and what you're capable of. I would want everybody to know. And I guess from a food standpoint, you know, start with seasoning. Start with understanding different culture. You know, once again, because if you have one dish, you can switch that dish up. Like, for instance, spaghetti. So if you have spaghetti, most people think that's an Italian dish. So you probably have like marinara sauce, some type of noodles. Um, You know, I don't eat meat, so maybe let's just say like mushrooms on there. Um, And then I say, well, you know... I don't know how to cook anything else. But if I understood culture and different walks of life, then I can say, I take that same, those noodles, and I'll bring it over here once again to like the Caribbean, and I'll take some coconut milk and some jerk, and I'll make like what we call rasta pasta, you know? So (laughs) now it's like this whole different flavor though, it's like totally different. One looks more white, like almost like what they would call an Alfredo because it's coconut milk and uh, tints of brown from the, um, uh, from the jerk seasoning. And then you have the spaghetti over here. But they were de- technically the same dish. You just had these noodles and these noodles. and but you get tired of eating the same type of spaghetti every night, right? So just knowing culture you know is key if you want to um, start to cook more for yourself and not getting tired with what you've already had, you can do it again in a different way, but just taking it to another culture, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure where you're from, you probably have a, a pasta dish too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, we're, we're very much rooted in different kinds of vegetables and, mm-hmm. and grains, I think just grains in general are more popular, mm-hmm. there's more variety of grain, like, Buckwheat, for example. Oh, people totally. always laugh at me here when I eat buckwheat. Mm,
1: totally. <laughs> but
0: in Ukraine it's very popular and a lot of other kinds as well. So yeah.
1: Yeah, it's 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 exciting. And um that's another thing. Once again, culture, right? If we just learn this culture thing and be okay with, you know, everybody should be content with where they're from and willing to learn about where other people are from. I think that's the whole key, mm-hmm. you know? And um So like in Kenya, they have um, a lot of pumpkin flour, you know, they take this pumpkin and dehydrate it and then grind it and come up with the flour and now they're cooking everything. Because flour, really, the word is only just grinded, really. Mm -hmm. It's just a powder. So you can have chickpea flour, or you could have rice flour, you could have coconut flour, You know, you can have plantain flour that I've had from Jamaica. They take the plantain, dehydrate it and burn it in the flour. I make the best waffles out of plantain flour. Um, You know, so once again, if we start to step out from where we're from, if we say, I'm from Chicago, you know, and what we know is like deep style dish pizza out here and a lot of, um, you know, cheese steaks and things like that. It's like a lot of the street food and traditional um, food out there. But, you know, you step from out of there and you go somewhere else and learn a little bit about where somebody else is from and what they're doing over there. It just gives you so much more lead way to be able to eat, you know, just by looking at where other people are from. Mm -hmm. It just opens up the whole world.
0: Do you have a a favorite cuisine or a culture that you're currently most inspired by?
1: Not really. Honestly, it it changes the more I learn stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Like I just got some... um, amaranth, like we were talking about grain, Mm -hmm. but the amaranth grain, um, I just got some amaranth grain noodles from Mozambique, um, so I'm just like, wow, okay, I've never had amaranth grain noodles before, me, myself, you know, um, and then, like, the same week I got some flour from Kenya, um, and me as a vegan, one thing I do still have every once in a while is, like, a little honey, um, But never like, you know, the type of honey that's processed by these big box stores, because then that's how it's not vegan. They're using all of this machinery, and they're scraping the bees in the process. They're dying dead bees that fall in the honey. Then they try to filter it out before they put it in the bottle and heat it up to a certain point to where they kill a lot of the nutrients in the honey. But they found honey in tombs in Egypt that was 3,000 years old and still edible. So it's one of the key foods to understand and know is honey. You know, what other food could you eat after 3,000 years of sitting? It didn't rot and still held its nutrients, you know? So every once in a while I have a little honey and I had some um, honey given to me from a place called, um, well, I think it's actually from Kenya, but it's a certain tribe in Kenya. But the name of honey is uh, Ogeik. It's like a O-G-E-I-K. Um... And the honey is the craziest flavor if you ever want to taste it. If, you, if you've if you been on a plane before and you've ever had like that Biscoff cookie that they give you when you're flying, mm-hmm. the honey has tints of Biscoff in it naturally from, because the thing is, you know, the bees go to the flower. And I can't remember the name of the flower, but it's like this special flower that's out in Africa. And from, you know, the bees pollinating the flower and then making the honey from this special flower. It just has a flavor out of this world. So I say all of that to say, the more I study other culture, like what Mozambique has and more what, you know, Kenya has, I just start to fall in love with just all of these new ideas and ways of life. Mm -hmm. And it's never like one thing. I'm just mentioning Africa now, but, you know, even like all of the things you can do with miso, um, which would be more like an Asian thing. Um, You know, a lot of people don't know there's chickpea miso. You know, people say I'm allergic to soy or I don't want to do the soy thing. There's all types of different miso. Um, And, you know, it's gluten-free and soy-free, and you can still have it. And chickpea's high in um, uh, protein as well as it's um, basically an alkaline legume, you know, and, you know, it keeps the body, uh, you know, healthy. Because we don't want to put things that have too much acid in the body, you know. Um, as far as diet and our balance and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's key to have some good go-to high alkaline foods in your diet. Chickpeas, one of them that, you know, is, is really good. And, um, you know, it's 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 just a day-to-day life too, you know. It's like a lifestyle, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. um, that I'm being a part of at this point. But anybody else coming in, they have to keep that mindset of, you know, it's not a race, it's not a rush. You know, it's like day to day, you know, day to day to day. And even if you make a mistake or you slip, whether you're vegan or whether you're healthy, like people that are healthy that are not vegan, they might be on a diet and then they slip and make a mistake or eat something they're not supposed to. You know, and then they feel so bad and so convicted that sometimes it's almost that guilt knocks them off track and basically um, puts them back to where they were in the beginning. Because now they feel like, you know, I messed up so bad. I just, you know, I might as well just go back to what I was doing, you know? Um, So the key is just to know that, you know, it's okay. It's a day-to-day lifestyle. You know, if you're doing it Monday, Tuesday, and you messed up a little Wednesday, the good thing is to know, well, hopefully you'll wake up on Thursday um, (laughs) and you'll be able to do it good again. You know, and and keep this mindset of it's okay if you slip once or twice, you know, if you're slipping every day, then you have to start to question yourself on really what you want in life. Um, But, you know, a slip here and a fall there is okay. You know, you get back up from that and you keep it going, you know, is the key. Um, So I don't have any, you know, slips like that anymore as far as the things that aren't vegan. But in the beginning, I mean, I had slips, you know, it was like I wanted a little piece of chocolate or... You know, um, I go out and it's like no food and they have pepperoni pizza and, you know, meat lover's pizza and it's like there's some cheese pizza and I'm looking like, well, you know, I'm new to being vegan and, um, you know, I am kind of hungry and messed around and ate a slice of pizza, you know. But then later I've seen that, you know, because my body was so used to not eating it that the next day physically I had to pay for Going back to a lifestyle that I knew myself, it wasn't for me. That's why I walked away from it. And then I had like all of this um, congestion and almost like inflammation. Because, um, you know, you know, dairy causes a lot of inflammation in the body. Um, and my body was so used to not having it that when I slipped up and had some, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of allowed me to realize why I left it alone in the beginning. You know? And it's just go back. It was only a slip. You go right back, you know. And, and that's the way, you know, you do it. You shouldn't let people, because um, people would test you too. You know, I thought you said you would be, I thought you said, I thought you said, I thought you said, you know. Don't let people get in your mind. You know, you know what you want to do, you know where you want to be, and you follow that, you know.
0: hmm Yeah. Um, if people are listening to this and they're like, okay, I hear you, I, I want to make the change. What are some of the most simple steps of where, of where they can start on their path to the life that is more full of life?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is just to dedicate a day a week if you're not at that point yet. Like if you're literally just walking in the door to maybe plant-based lifestyle, vegan lifestyle, even just wanting to have less meat. So you're not willing to come in all the way, but you're like, I know I need to eat less meat. You know, the first thing is just to dedicate one day a week where it's totally meatless. Hopefully it's totally uh, plant-based. You know, and then from there, do it, you know, a couple times, you know, unless you feel ready enough to maybe do it a couple times a week immediately. Most people probably won't. But the point is I'm trying to say is build a habit, but you're building a good habit. You know, so you d- d- maybe, like I say, meatless Monday, so you say Monday, the meatless Monday, then the next Monday, Monday, meatless Monday, maybe a month of that. Now you can maybe add Wednesday in, you know? And then do it a little bit, and then maybe you can add Friday in, so now it's like every other day. mm mm-hmm. You know, so now you're halfway there, you know? And if you like the way you feel, which you probably do, you're feeling more energetic, your thoughts are clearer. Um, everybody's telling you that you look better and all of these things. You're like, wow, okay, well, maybe I need to stick with this. You'll probably add <laughs> another day and another day. Now you're at five days a week. You know, you're almost there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, finally you're probably going to say, if I'm at five days a week, man, I might as well come on in, right? <laughs> and then you're going to walk into the lifestyle. So, you know, that's the way it is for most people, I would say, And us, unless... It's a health reason and you just feel that you might not have time to do it so slow and you and you feel convicted that, you know, I need to make a change right now. If you feel like you need to make a change right now and it's a harsh change, I'm just going to switch lifestyles, you know, do a little research first, you know, on how you still get your proteins and on how you still get your iron and how you still get certain things nutritionally because you are going to miss out on some things when you switch over but they are there, you just got to do your research to know where to find them, right? So for instance, like seaweeds, seaweeds are high in iron. Um, And, you know, so like a lot of the iron that we eat, we shouldn't be getting um, is basically from like the animal, you know, almost like the blood in the animal. Um, And if you're not eating meat, then you're not getting that type of iron. So how are you still going to get your iron? So it could, you know, be like eating more and more seaweed and you know you can do it different types of ways I take um... there's so many different types of seaweed too but you know you can take them and put them in soups, you can put them in smoothies you can take seaweed and crumble it on your salad Mm -hmm. you know so maybe do a little bit of that after you're doing because I wouldn't tell anybody just to jump in without just paying attention to exactly what you're doing you know is the key first Mm -hmm. before you just jump in um... Technically, I think it's still safer than eating meat, though, Um, because most of us just jumped into eating meat.
2: Right. (laughs) Um,
1: So, you know, I don't want to scare people away as if it's like this dangerous thing, but just so that you are going to be totally okay and you don't have any reason to go back right away. You say, oh, I'm, I'm iron deficient. I need to go back to meat now. And it's like, well, if you just knew that eating these three things were higher in iron, And you put, so like beets is extremely high in iron. You know, maybe spinach is extremely high in iron. So if you just eat a little bit more spinach, eat a little bit more beets, and maybe add a little seaweed, now you won't have to worry about iron deficiency and then go back because the doctor said you're iron deficient, and you're just like, I don't know what else to do besides go back to the meat. Um, So just, you know, people need to do their research a little bit before they jump in.
0: Yeah, but I guess it applies to anything really when starting, so it's always better to come and prepare so that you have less excuses to not do what you set up to do.
1: We're known to open things up that have instructions and directions and put them to the side and try to just (laughs) use them, you know? Yes. Um, And that's kind of what, you know, so. (laughs)
0: Um, So don't laugh at me. How do you make, can you still eat sweet potatoes?
1: Yeah, I still eat them.
0: How um, do you how do you prepare them at hundred and fifteen degrees?
1: Well the thing is I I'm not a raw foodist solely. Okay. You know what I mean? So for me it's like, you know, a good portion of my diet is raw okay. food. But I'm still, you know, able to cook food. Um so yeah, for sweet potatoes I would probably definitely um cook them. Um maybe like pie style. I, I do like a really good sweet potato pecan pie. Um, I've done like a sweet potato bisque soup. Um, well it's a bisque, not really a soup, but um, you know it's really thick. Like a really thick soup would be like a bisque. Mm-hmm. It was um sweet potato jalapeno is what it was. Sweet potato jalapeno bisque. Um, it's one of the first soups I ever made actually like you know without having a can or a bottle and just like taking something and turning it in, sweet potato bisque. Um, Yeah, so pie or soup, especially now we're going into like that, you know, colder season. Mm -hmm. Um, So either way, pecans, it's Georgia pecans, you know, down here. So that would be good to have a sweet potato pie, but maybe put pecans on the top of the pie. And now you got local food, um, you know, local pecans, local sweet potatoes. Those are easy to access, too. I just pulled some sweet potatoes out of a garden. I just became a member at this community garden. I was a member at another one, but I moved. And um, when I got to bed, the person there before me had left some things. Like, they basically didn't clean out the garden for me. Um, So, most people would have been like, oh, man, I got to do all this work before I can even start my garden. And I kind of felt like that initially myself. But as I started to clean it out, I started to find all of these gifts. Like there was okra still on the vine, and um, there was a couple tomatoes, and there's even sweet potatoes sprouting out of the dirt right now. (laughs) So, so I took a couple and left a couple to grow bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so sweet potatoes, you know, can be broken down in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to do the research and see. Um, I'm pretty sure I could probably still mandolin slice them, like slice them really thin, and I should be able to still dehydrate them. I'm I'm, I'm almost positive. Um,
0: I just got jealous listening to you talking, uh, picking up about picking up vegetables from the garden. Mm-hmm. I so I grew up in Ukraine, as I told you, and my grandmother had a very very large. Uh, kind of like summer cottage thing with a pretty big piece of land and mm. we grew a lot of things oh, there. Yes. So like tomatoes and potatoes and all the kinds of melons and we mm-hmm. have all the different fruit trees. And I don't think there is anything compared to being able to harvest the fruit or the vegetable and being able to eat it right there and That's then right. and, and then like I remember like we were tasked with like gathering and harvesting berries or something Mm -hmm. and like being little you know like I don't know six years old or something we thought it was a chore but now I'm thinking like Mm -hmm. it was it's such a blessing to be able to pick up this live fruit that just soaked up all Mm -hmm. of the sun Mm -hmm. in it and be able to eat it right there and then that's right
1: and that's the beautiful thing about fruit I'm glad you said that is when you're eating a fruit and even a lot of vegetables exactly what you just said this plant is literally soaking up sun and sun makes everything grow, so you're just eating like sunburst, you know, like a right. burst of sun, and that's just amazing that you're you, you the sun is captured in this almost like a capsule, right, with the flavor, and yeah. you're literally just eating the sun, right? Yeah. Um, so, and even when I cook a lot of food, that's one of the uh, there's a Elder who's been doing raw food for a long time. His name is Aris, so it's A R I S, Aris, and it looks like Latham, but he pronounces it Latham, mm-hmm. Aris Latham. So he, you check him out. He's like a 80 year old, almost almost 80, a raw foodist, and he has this term called sun fired, and I use that sometimes. So this is when he cooks, um, he's preparing food. Um, and sometimes uh, cooking at a very low temperature once again, but he calls it sun-fired. So instead of, remember we were looking for the term earlier and saying if it's cooked but it's still raw, and if it's raw and it's still cooked. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't say raw, he doesn't really say living, he doesn't really, he says his food is sun-fired, that it was fired by the sun. So this is what he calls his cuisine. If you eat from him, he says this is sun-fired cuisine.
0: I love
1: it. Yeah, and he's a master, master of all foodists. Uh, he's in, like, India and the Caribbean and does classes and tours all over the world, basically, and teaches people how to cook or prepare food. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, um, I was going to just mention something, and I forgot uh, that we were talking about picking out the fruit from the sunshine. Oh, uh I recently was listening to this interview from, from this amazing doctor who is uh, very attuned uh, in both plant-based nutrition but also the science, and mm-hmm. he was talking about the biology, and uh, it, there, he basically says there is, there is a lot of research on how we are um, structured, of course, in our – the lining in our, in our colon is basically one cell thick. Hmm. And the way that the cells are made, they have like this kind of like the, the camera is set up with a lens. Mm-hmm. So it has the lens on both sides of it. So when the nutrients are absorbed, mm-hmm. if you go really, really deep down to the um, to the process of how that transforms from, from the nutri- nutrient in the colon to the absorption through the body, mm-hmm. it literally resembles the way how the sun gets from like from the outside to our eyes through the lens. Mm. And he says, like, we're literally light beings yes. because this is how everything is processed. And totally. that, that just made me think about that as well mm-hmm. as we we're talking about the sun-fired food and totally. this fruit being charged yeah. by the sun. And
1: that's key. So, But if we're taking something that, you know, a lot of people might not believe in God, but if we say God or we just say, okay, I don't believe in God, so we say, like, Mother Nature, mm-hmm. um, So you're taking something from Mother Nature, and like Mother Nature is like the nature, I mean, the mother of all things, right? Right? It would be like Mm -hmm. the first mother, and we would think that, like, we know our mother knows what to do, like our mothers. Right. So why would we think Mother Nature didn't know what to do? So the point is, this food has a, a gestation period, it goes through you know, germination, and then da-da-da-da-da-da, time of harvest. And then when we harvest it, for some reason, we say, my mother didn't do well enough. This is not cooked. <laughs> and then we take it and throw it in the oven and basically kill it. Mm-hmm. Instead of understanding that nature and God or whoever you believe in, everything is set up divinely for you already. Mm-hmm. And almost everything that's grown when it's ripe, It's able to be eaten in its natural state. You don't have to heat it at all. You know, the majority of all food that is grown. Um, But for some reason, you know, we just keep throwing it in the oven, keep throwing it in the oven, keep throwing it in the oven. And to me, that's disrespectful, you know, to your mother. You know, you shouldn't be disrespectful to your mother. My mother wouldn't allow it. She wouldn't (laughs) allow me to be disrespectful. You know, she would have um, popped me by now, slapped me on the hand or something, <laughs> told me to do time out in the corner, whatever the case may be. But she wouldn't allow me to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I think of it like that sometimes, and I try not to say it to too many people because you know, a lot of people aren't ready for it. You know, if you're just walking into plant-based lifestyle, then you're definitely probably not ready for raw food yet, or sun-fired food yet, or living food yet. Um, You're just at the point to where I'm willing to try some new things. Um, And you know, we'll we'll tell them all of these different things. For instance, um, you know, how the casein protein is not right for the physical body to break down. That this casein protein in the milk is a protein that is actually used to um, help a cow grow. or even like albumin, which is the protein found in the egg. That that protein was made for another chicken, you know, another bird, um, in the sense. So, and when they start to do their research and understand and say, oh, yeah, you're right. That, you know, that's not the type of protein that I need, you know, in my body. And that's not the type of protein that I need, you know, in my body. And then they start to make, you know, better conscious decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's definitely a... Um, it's a process. It's definitely a process.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. If mm. um, it, Tell us about some of the events that are coming up for you.
1: Well, we have a bunch of things. Um, I think the main thing that I would want to mention um, is coming up on... November the 1st, and it's basically a panel discussion on food production and food insecurity locally and globally. Mm-hmm. The panel will be moderated by Cicely Garrett, uh, Deputy, uh, Deputy Chief Resilience Officer, basically you know, the city of Atlanta, the mayor's office. Uh, she'll be the moderator. Uh, the panel members will include uh, Kyle Wade, who is CEO of Atlanta Community Food Bank, Ellie Kanzanga. Who is the Deputy Director of Agriculture um, and Market Services at CARE? And Chef Zoo, uh, Executive Chef and Certified Nutritionist of King's Apron. So this will be on November the 1st from 6:30 to 8:15 at the Atlanta Community Food Bank. And once again, it's a discussion or a panel discussion on food insecurity, food production locally and globally.
0: That is really interesting. I'll make sure to include the link on the show notes. And I think I've seen there is an, another event coming up that you will be participating in. Uh, is it at Full Circle Farm Sanctuary, isn't it? Well, uh, I think it's post-Thanksgiving I, or somewhere on there. No,
1: I did one there. We don't have another one on the calendar yet. Uh, some of the next things I'm doing is just a couple cooking classes mm-hmm. this week. Um we are doing a Love Local Atlanta, which is a food well alliance, one of the big food nonprofits here. They do an annual uh, dinner. It's like a five-course dinner, and I'm one of the chefs to, that will serve at uh, Love Local. Mm-hmm. And um, we're doing Taste of Atlanta, um, you know, the big food festival. Oh, wow. Uh, we're doing a cooking class there. Um, so that's some of the next things that we have coming up. Uh, in the next couple of weeks.
0: And where where would people find this information? Is it posted on your website, on your social media?
1: Yeah, most of it's social media. Um, you know, the key name is King's Apron. So if you're looking for the website, it's kingsapron.com mm-hmm. But, you know, we have King's Apron Facebook, King's Apron Instagram. You'll find more of that information about the next events on our social media okay Uh, but please feel free to still go to the website and check out what else we have to offer
0: absolutely and and is there anything else that you'd like to share before I ask my final question
1: um no I feel like we've definitely had a good conversation and um, it's been like organic you know so I like the way it is I don't want to add too much in besides whatever we're going to talk about now
0: sounds good Um, I usually like to close with a question of um, kindness. The name of the podcast is Follow Your Kind, and I truly believe that each of us is brought into this world kind, um, Mm -hmm. and maybe we may define what kindness means to us in in different ways, but I do think it is nevertheless important to to follow what it is that value of kindness is for us. So what does kind mean to you?
1: Mm. Kind to me... You know, I look of it when, you know, because I know the word is one of those words that has multiple meanings to it. So, the first thing I thought of is, um, you know, like, what kind? Hmm. Um, and in that sense, like, the kind of way that is healthy, right? The kind of way that mm-hmm. is love. That's um, how I thought of it first, you know. Um Because I know most people would have probably thought of it the other way, right? Kind, like, caring and, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, for me, it's all about options. Like, we know life is nothing but options. That's all you ever have. You can go across the street or stay here. You could go to the interview or not. You could work out or sit down. You can argue or be peaceful. You can... Love or hate, you know, it's just like you always have these decisions and choices every day. Um, so I guess for me, the first thing I think of is like, what kind of choices are you going to make for yourself?
2: Hmm.
1: Um And I want them to be healthy and in love and, you know, in respect Um is how I think of it when you ask me that question.
0: I love yeah. that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Shevzu. And I look forward to all the amazing things you're going to achieve. And I'm certain that you're going to bring to fruition the, the vision that you hold for yourself and find a Well, thank you so
1: much for having me. You know.
0: For more information, you can go to followyourkind.com or follow me on Instagram at kindcristina. Please also subscribe to the show and give me a good review. Thanks for stopping by.